Guys, welcome to the podcast. Before we get started, as ever, remember that all the information you're about to hear is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any illnesses or diseases. Please make sure to consult your healthcare practitioner before implementing any of the things we may discuss in this podcast. Speaking of education, if you're an exercise professional, coach or anyone working within the realms of health and fitness, when you're done listening here, make sure to head on over and check out our education portal at www themusclementors.co.uk if you like us and truly care about the well-being of your clients about getting access to the best and most up-to-date information in the areas of exercise mechanics hypertrophy sleep improving your online coaching services and much much more then be sure to join up you'll gain access to endless hours of content focused around everything you need to become a truly elite coach and get your clients in the best physical shape possible this is all in the form of video lectures weekly live education sessions and study groups you also get early access to our podcast and access to any exclusive Q&A segments we do with our guests. The content never stops on the portal. It's not a one-off course. It's an ever-evolving learning platform designed to give you the best information possible in this area. Head on over to our website and become part of our epic community, full to the brim of other professionals who, like yourself, are focused on providing the best health and physique-related results for their clients. Join us and them and gain the resources, support and accountability you need to become the elite of the health and fitness industry. For now, though, grab yourself a pen and paper and enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome back to the Muscle Mentors podcast. I was about to say Muscle Mentors Education Portal, but it's been a long day. Um, we are joined by, well, I am joined by James and Paul Standall, um, who is, many of you will know as Body by Control on Instagram. Um, and today we are basically doing a exercise mechanics roundtable, so this will be number three. Um, and uh, I think we're kind of doing it focused around lower body pushing movements. Um, and we're just going to have kind of a cool, hopefully cool, discussion around that area. Um, but for those that don't know you, Paul, hey. do you want to uh, give yourself a little intro? Oh, that's nice. That's how I, I just kind of, I think Paul's awesome. Oh, that's great. There you go. That's the end of the intro. Uh, so, yeah, my name's Paul. I've been a PT. This is my, I think it's 11th year uh, in the industry. I've been into the mechanics realm for not as long as I would have liked for the last couple of years. And that's a depressing sign of the industry that it took eight years or so before coming across this stuff. Because as I say to lots of people, it's not like in that time I'd skimped on going to seminars with Brad Schoenfeld and Eric Helms and Alan Aragon when you're allowed to kind of like him. And yet I hadn't come across really any of this stuff. And you, you get asked these basic questions. You're like, why don't I know the answer to that? I should know the answer to that. Yeah. And, uh, and so that leads to the to the rest of this stuff and eventually to hanging out with people like yourselves and then turns out eventually to going on the podcast with you guys as well so that's kind of fun for me i think like i'm like i think i spent eight years in the industry until i knew what exercise mechanics or even knew what that term was so you're not alone in that at all um and it's luckily i think since something that does seem to be so much more popular nowadays it's quite funny speaking to some of the newer trainers and they're like, oh, you know, I've been a trainer for a year before I came across this. And I just didn't understand. Part of my brain is like, you lucky. you guys, that's so lucky. <laughs> it took me so long uh, to get to that point. But yeah, as you say, it, it's super cool that this is actually becoming a thing because there is no good reason why this shouldn't be the foundation of everything. You know, it, it's the physical world that we deal with and it ain't good enough, as I'm sure you guys agree and 
go with yourselves that we that we don't start with the foundation as exercise mechanics rather than whatever the hell we decide to do in level two and three personal training qualifications these days mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i mean like i beat both of you and I, <laughs> I, I got exposed to um exercise mechanics before i was even a pt <laughs> really yeah, yeah it was actually yeah. at ben bukowski's seminar at m10 that was where uh, I was the uni in Nottingham, and I was like, "Oh my god, Ben Pickles—he's coming! He's down the road!" I was like, "I'm in," um, and I th and yeah, that was then. Then and then I came on the M10 ones when I th that was I'd probably a gym instructor at that point and got schooled by James, and then um, and then they were like, "There's this thing called RTS," and I was like, "I'm in." I mean, the funny part of Luke is he is the only person who sits in the Venn diagram of bodybuilding and tennis. Yeah. There's precisely no other people that span that world. <laughs> I'm sure I've seen a few, but, the, um, but no one who looks quite as good doing it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Did you hurt your shoulder yesterday playing tennis? Yeah, my, uh, my shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> no, show, show off for the camera. Came yeah, back to my gym. <laughs> Come and film me. <laughs> oh, um. But no, that's uh, no, it's cool to have you here, Paul and um, Jimbo. I know everyone knows you, but all's well. I'm I'm hoping very well. Yeah, other than Jaden not being at nursery for a bit, but other than that, it's all good, <laughs> mate. Just dealing with fatherhood. <laughs> but mate, I'm I'm all good. We're still managing to keep on top of it. That's all we like yeah. to see. Um, so lower body pushing, um, best place to start. Someone hit me go. This is how loose we keep these podcasts. Oh, that's that's super loose. <laughs> <laughs> that is the best. Uh, we're probably the best. Is that even a question? <laughs> would be um, talking around, I mean, probably picking a few movements to compare. And I know we had talked about comparing things like a barbell squat to a 45 degree leg press to some sort of like four bar linkage system leg press. So for those that aren't clear on like four bar linkage, we're talking a Nautilus nitro leg press or a cybex vr2 or a, a uh, kaiser leg press like the pneumatic leg press where we're looking at having a platform that has essentially this four bar linkage system attached that then doesn't change the orientation of that platform as it goes through so it's closed chain um which paul just brought out meccano so for those that are listening to this one as opposed to watching it we're probably going to be using few visual aids um, so maybe head on over to YouTube if you haven't already. Uh, yeah, some of those things are definitely best understood with a visual. Yeah. Saying things like four bar linkage, if you've never really come across that, or if you have come across it, but you've never really understood it, and everyone sort of glosses past as though, oh yeah, we should all know what a four bar linkage is. Uh, it really helps to see it visually. Um, and I tried to do that with, with Meccano because it's going to be the same thing that if you guys have ever heard of closed chains, constrained closed chains and open chain exercises, stuff that really gets bastardized by most of the industry uh, and something you can demonstrate gets bastardized by the industry by just building some basic Meccano, playing with Meccano and going, oh, okay, so a constrained closed chain should mean that I could move one link in four different links and all of the other parts of this machine, this system would move in a predictable, precise manner. And I could use any of the joints and I would get the same motion every single time. That is what happens in a four bar linkage, which is super useful uh, when going through a leg press and trying to remove the constraint of the ankle joint. But it basically doesn't really apply to any time we've got a human body because 
that would imply a, sort of imply for me that we could take a corpse and I could electrocute one of its joints and I could create predictable motion through the whole rest of it. And like, obviously, well, that hasn't happened to my knowledge because no one's yet given me a dead body to play with, which would be super weird. But also because you'd at least have to maintain the plane around those things. And that for, for a human being who doesn't have, you know, screws and nuts and bolts in them, the way you maintain the plane is electrical output of, of muscle tissue. And so you've even, you've, to even have the concept of working within a, a constrained closed chain, you at least need electrical output to motors maintaining the plane. And that precludes it from even being a constrained closed chain in the first instance. And you can demo that with Meccano. Well, I think for, for anyone who's maybe been around for a good few years, some of the maybe newer trainers may not have heard sort of where closed chain, open chain may have been used. Um, but it's quite often used within looking at a, say, a physio might prescribe closed chain movement, say a squat. So they, what they believe is a closed chain movement to be, a, well, you need to do a squat first and then maybe an open chain movement, you need to do a leg extension. But if you can visualize what Paul was talking about, then during a squat, we could bend at the knees and we could choose to the degrees of potential of hip flexion we do or don't have. We may fall over at some point, but like, it's not constrained <laughs> within fixed positions. Yeah. Uh, we don't move 10 degrees at the knee and that'll confine, that'll give us a set amount we get at the hip, a set amount we get at the ankle. Like, it could be completely different. And if it did, I mean, no one would be able to twerk and really the world would be worse off. <laughs> so, yeah. But then, in, so in the context of the, um, because we've also got like the leg press obviously features a some sort of chains based system, closed chain. Um, 45 degree that would be obviously. Because we know like in that instance, um, you know, movement's relatively predictable in that if we stick someone in a leg press and they're moving you know, between those two points, that machine is gonna allow like essentially allow them to move in a certain way, and that's gonna obviously be influenced by their structure um so that's that's where those these these are all largely comparable at the same time incomparable in certain contexts because we've got one movement that is mechanically a very different reality to another movement which is mechanically very different to another um which is where obviously this is probably the base of the, the um this podcast because obviously they're all lower body pushing movements yeah. So if we go, oh, lower body pushing well, has the same profile and the same mechanical considerations, it's like, hang on a sec, because now we've got to look at what's making up this particular movement. I mean, I think if we've got, you know, if you were going to have a bit of a closed chain in there, you can make an argument that in human beings, closed chains allow you to use a little bit less of a certain amount of tissue and a bit more of another. But I don't know that they'd ever take you to the to the true limit of what that phrase means in an engineering perspective but you could i think you could maybe have an argument that it would allow you to work around something a little bit more and use tissues that wouldn't necessarily allow you to create that movement outside of those constraints and that sounds super abstract now i've said that out loud if someone doesn't really know what i'm describing there but to, to like to try and give an example or give context around that think of that leg press um i know for myself with the issues around my knee i can almost perform a leg press we're purely thinking about extending through my hip and plantar flexing through my ankle. Yeah. So that plantar flexion and that hip extension will then give me knee extension. So we can get knee extension to maybe, if someone chopped the quad off, completely, <laughs> completely took it out of the body without actually using the muscles that extend the knee. 
Um, so from a practical application point of view, if we were to look at a physio perspective or rehab perspective, that may be a good thing to implement because we're not going to have to get as much talk from the quad to create the extension. We can use some of its friends to try and help it. I mean, I suppose you could actually make a counter as well for that. If someone has this disposition towards, let's say they really struggle to use the quad for something and they're very glute dominant in their own words and that area keeps working or that's what they keep feel working or that's what keeps growing then using exercises with a constrained closed chain would actually make it less likely that they would work the thing that they're now trying to grow because their body's got this way of bypassing it that it's learned. Oh yeah, we just use that. So actually, if you've got this difficult area, maybe a, a closed chain is not the way for you to target that to begin with. And with all these things, they're just food for thought. It's not necessarily one is right nor wrong. Yeah, well, it comes so much down to just the individual, doesn't it? How someone moves, how someone functions, their skill, their proportions, et cetera, whether a movement's right for them. Yeah. Um, whereas generally with the industry, if someone feels something on a movement, say a squat, say a leg press, they program that and it's got to be right for all their clients. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is for everyone now. Yeah. But I think, I mean, there's sort of an easy way. Well, I, I have a habit of saying this is a really easy way of, of illustrating this, and it's not. Um, but I just thought of a way that some people might be able to relate to it. Like, if we put someone in a barbell squat, or if you put like a, me like a mechanical being in a squat that had like a motor around his hip and a motor around his knee and a motor around his ankle, and you turned on the motor around his knee, like he'll get knee extension, but you know, maybe you'll fall over. It won't just move the bar up. You put that same mechanical person in a leg press and you just turn the motor on around his knee and that thing will, cause he's in that constrained environment. It will move that. He'll move through the movement and it will look the same as if you just turned on the ankle or just turned on the hip or turn them on altogether. Um, so that's probably like an easy way to, Hopefully, it's way for people. It, it would be easy if people could see that. Uh, yeah. These ones, Just are, one uh, sec. <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, they're definitely best understood. A lot of these concepts, if you see them, you'll go, "Oh, okay." And you might not be able to describe precisely why, but you'll sort of have a a bit more of an innate understanding of just having seen it. Yeah, um, so, you know, podcasts are the perfect <laughs> environment for us to do it. I know, right? Well, well, visual. I mean, <laughs> but the um. But I mean, hopefully this, the, the point of this podcast is just have a discussion and inspire some thought, hopefully, um, and, and hopefully give you guys a bit more of an understanding of these different tools. But like on the, the profile front then, so obviously that's obviously the area that a lot of people will go straight to. Profile, it's the most important thing. Setup's obviously pretty important as well. We'll get to that and we can discuss it with this. But how are these things going to potentially differ? If, like, or are there going to be things that we want to consider differently when it comes to like considering the the resistance profile of a 45 degree leg press four bar linkage system leg press versus a barbell squat what do you reckon yeah i, I mean think, i guess yeah go for it man. i was gonna say even trying to because there's so many machine variations even if we were to maybe have a little discussion and just turns on barbell squats so we've got maybe a, a, a back squat which depends on the person but if we'll, we'll call it a back squat that's hip dominant compared to the opposite end of the extreme, a front squat with a big heel wedge, super knee dominant. Um, that I think even with them two examples there, knowing that the hip extensors are going to be stronger than the knee extensors, we're probably not going to get the same drop-off in profile. So we're not going to be coming as weak in that bottom position, in that knee-focused squat, where that's appropriate for the individual is another conversation on its own. Um, so the profile probably is going to have a bigger change on maybe that knee dominant squat 
compared to someone as a generic rule in the hip hip dominant yeah and it really almost what james is kind of getting towards there is you know in, in the normal squat let's say we're going through a certain excursion through the hip and the knee and the ankle and it is those changing internal moment arms and the length tension relationships in all of those things put together that give us the strength profile of us as we're performing them but if we then limit the amount of range that we go through in the hip and make this super knee dominant well then we're taking the knee through a much bigger range potentially for itself but the hip through much less so that combination profile of the knee plus the hip in this is going to look different in that super knee dominant version versus the hip dominant one so if we were taking that classic idea of lower body pushing going we're in a weak position in the bottom of the squat and then we're going to get gradually stronger as we come up that might that will still be true but how much that changes whether that's a 50 percent change or a 20 percent change or i'm pulling numbers out my house here by the way or a 70 percent change is gonna vary based on the excursions those joints go through that's gonna vary person to person as well um, and we're starting to stitch these ideas together and make them a bit more specific than just oh it's always weak to strong right Mm-hmm. And, and that's why it's cool to understand the anatomy of the stuff right because if we have a, the knee going through a greater range of motion and you consider like as you go through knee flexion the internal moment arm of the quad becomes less if you know smaller so it loses mechanical efficiency and maybe it's getting into more compromised positions to actually produce force and then you consider in the hip most of those guys increase in efficiency in terms of their ability to produce torque around the hips as you go into hip flexion so you know, they're kind of doing opposite things. So as you go, you know, like I say, it will affect that profile. Um, you know, the hamstrings, for instance, become way less efficient at producing hip flexion as you go, as you get closer to full hip extension and way more efficient as you go into hip flexion. So that's doing a vastly different thing. That's going to change. Unless, you know, unless you put a small band around the hip while doing an RTL, right? That's, is that? <laughs> I'm getting us in trouble. <laughs> Listen to the first mechanics roundtable, anyone, if you want to get that joke. <laughs> That's a super niche joke, isn't it? Super niche. It's like my fourth one the other day, the uh, national one yesterday. <laughs> anyway, Karen? I was going to say, I think even with that in mind, you see the common thing that a lot of people do at the moment is trying to make things more knee dominant. Mm-hmm. And we know, hopefully you probably know by listening to this, that if we're looking at what... Um, maybe torque is going on around the knee. We're going to be looking at a line of force from that barbell coming down. And then we're looking at perpendicular distance. So we're going to look at a moment arm to the knee. And if someone goes from squatting flat-footed to squatting maybe with a three-inch heel wedge, because that seems to be the, a good height for what they are nowadays, then that moment arm to the knee when they naturally squat, maybe random figure, but maybe five inches, and they go and put that heel wedge there, and then it's gone up to eight inches or it's gone up to 10. So it's gone 50 to 100% more. So the torque around the knee has just gone up exponentially more. And can their knee stroke, more importantly, can their patellar femoral handle that exponential increase in force? Who knows? And we're probably not going to know for 10 years. But like I (laughs) I would propose the thought or the question is, 20 years ago, did people have jacked quads? 30 years ago, did they have huge quads? If everything aligned properly yes they did did they have huge huge heel wedges to squat with no so why do we need to complete yes we need to maybe change our thought process but why do we need to completely change the game 
my thought would be isn't a lifting wedge enough to change the mechanics yeah. when we're looking so when i say lifting wedge so what i mean is when like squat shoes if you're wearing squat shoes they'll raise you up by probably maybe an inch or something compared to being flat on the floor isn't that really enough outside of that shouldn't we look at other things to change the mechanics rather than directly increasing the moment to the knee yeah i mean at at certain points as well tension on the quads at certain points as well it can get comical because you know we why not use a six inch stiletto let's get super low i want a slut drop with this uh back squat kind of movement and see what's going on but if you you took just that idea of going okay yeah if we've changed it from a, a five inch moment arm to a 10 inch and doubled the torque demand as a result well how many exercises would you decide to double in one go like it'd be rare so what james is really driving at is well if you're going to play with a wedge would it be a more sensible idea to use a conservative not three inch and certainly not six inch kind of wedge now that might need to be a couple of inches for a person it might need to be tiny for another person then that is going to come back to to that person but we apply that in that deep knee flexion where we've got huge patella femoral compression going on and we're not used to handling that load because we've just jumped the moment arm by double, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe that's not the wisest move or the best way to get there. But then I would, I guess I would have the question, obviously here asking for a friend, uh, for someone who's got long and gangly femurs, definitely isn't me, and would be going, okay, well, how do we grow the quads then? Because I've got this idea that I wanted to, create a bigger challenge to the knee and, and for the quad. But now you're saying I can't use that. So how would I work around that in order to still get, uh, hopefully the thing, like what, why is more better? How did people build their quads without creating this 10 inch moment to the knee in the past? We don't, we don't need drastic, huge amounts of moment arm to the knee to warrant having an appropriate challenge. Mm-hmm. That's where things are. I think have gone in the wrong direction. You see people, okay. even if it's on something like a hack squat or something like that, trying to create that even more of a knee dominant um, movement. There's just no requirement for that. And like, yes, they, the individual may get away with it, but long-term, what's that going to do in terms of one, quad development, but two, is it needed? Do we need to go that far? Well, but two, more importantly, like from a joint perspective as well. Yeah. I mean, you could... Um... But I mean, one of the things I find, and uh, like, is you see a lot of people using heel wedges, and they don't even use them. Like, so in the sense of they put one there, but then they just their body just pushes them back into the same position they were in before. You're like, you haven't actually got a big increase in moment on there. So really, you're just tilting forward. Um, but the um, but it's also the I think understand the fact that like a, it's not necessarily a proportional split, like an equal split. So if someone says like oh, I've got a, you know, the moment arm is twenty percent to my knee and 80% to my hip, therefore my quads are doing 20% of the work. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. my hips are doing 80%. It isn't that simple because again, it comes down to the efficiency of the muscles around the joints, right? For for a lot of people, a 30, you know, 20% to the knee might actually result in like relative quad dominance, you know, in terms of how, how hard they're having to work through the movement. Because and it, I mean, you could levy some sort of evolutionary argument there, like there's a reason that as we age maybe is there this is more of a question like for anyone out there is there a reason that as we age everything becomes more hip dominant is it is is it the body's way of going yeah these patellofemoral guys they they have a tolerance and yeah they their tolerance is high but when we're doing this sort of movement maybe maybe i 
want to put more of it through my hips and putting it through the knee is going to result in issues over the years. <laughs> you know, you can argue that. And then, and then you see these people that are like, oh my God, right. I'm going to squat my tiptoes. Like, <laughs> you know, that might hurt you in a few years. You never know. But you know, there'll, there'll be yeah. some. I mean, I think just to clarify that kind of last bit as well, that idea of going, okay, you know, we might have this 80-20 split, but it's how much is that 20% as a total torque demand relative to the force output that the tissue that it's being challenged by can produce? You know, if that 20% of the total force that's coming in creates excellent amount of torque, 100 units of torque, let's say, but the tissue in question can only produce 105 units of torque max, well, then it's near its max, that 80% that is producing 800 units of torque, but the tissue in question can produce 20,000 units. Well, you're not going to feel it in that thing. It doesn't matter that that's there. It's also, you always have to keep in mind that concept of how strong is the tissue being challenged by those things as well. Yeah. And you realistically, you could test that. Like if you had a, you know, if you had access to dynamometers and stuff like that, you could test your output, but you don't even need that. You could, you know, test it in some sort of isolated scenario on a leg extension. What's your, how much force can you tolerate in those positions or how much force can you produce? And then roughly gauge some sort of comparison in a lower body pushing movement. And you might be able to come up with numbers like that um, that have some sort of carryover. Again, it's getting slightly more complicated than people probably hope for. Um, but the point is for those that are digging into mechanics and you, and you, start breaking down moment arms to relative joints. I understand it isn't as simple as just saying 20% moment arm means 20% of the work. Like not necessarily. We got to understand all those other things. Um, which kind of brings us back probably full circle to the profile side of things. Um, which did we answer? Did we talk? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We were kind of just, we just look at it. There's a shed load of different variations <laughs> of lower body pushing profiles. Yeah. That was the take the general takeaway. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the the machines we're in, the ways we're performing them, I mean the speed at which we're performing these things is going to influence that. So it's um, you know, if we go through an eccentric very, very fast in a squat, we're gonna to have to produce more force at the bottom than at, you know, but you know, so it's that's gonna change force output requirements and all that jazz. Um yep. And and change where that exercise is hardest, but also by how much, right? So if we you know, if we drop through the movement and you have to end up coming up with, I mean, we did some stuff earlier where it was like 100 kilos dropping 0. 0.6 um, meters through, um, it was it 0. 0.6 meters at 9.8 meters per second. So the speed of gravity, if we drop that thing, we'd need to if we wanted to stop that thing over a distance of 0. 0.1 meters, we needed to come up with 350 kilos. 0.1 seconds. Point yeah, point. so this was, that was this. So the idea we played with earlier, me and Luke do some weird maths, nerdy stuff at times, um, was <laughs> the best part of this was getting Luke to measure his arm with the world's smallest ruler. So we're like, okay, so let's say we've got this bench press at the top of it and there's 100 kilos on it. I was like, how far is it down to your chest? So he got a, a ruler out. We measured it. It's like, it's about 60 centimeters. Okay, cool. So we've got this idea. It's starting at complete rest because it's not moving anywhere, obviously. And then if he could just let go of it, and then catch it just before it hits him on the chest. How fast would it have accelerated in that time? And so it starts at zero. It's being accelerated by gravity, 9.8 meters per second per second. How long does it take to cover 0.6 meters? Uh, and how fast would it be going by the time it hits that point? And the answer to that question was it would get there at 3.43 meters per second, if I'm remembering this rightly. Yeah. Yeah. It would therefore have a certain 
so objects have momentum that you have to stop, right? And momentum is related to two things, mass and velocity. So how big is the damn thing, but also how fast it's traveling. You know, it's, it's one thing to say big objects have big momentum, but I'd rather be hit by a really slow moving car than a bullet that was traveling really fast. It's both mass and velocity that, that create momentum. So how much force would Luke have to produce to stop that object, this 100 kilo barbell, that's just about to hit him in the chest when it gets there? And part of the answer to that is it depends how long he has to apply the force to it for. Like if he got to apply that force for 0.1 seconds, a tiny fraction of time, he would have had to come up with the equivalent of 350 kilos of force in that guy in that 0.1 seconds. If he had 0.2 seconds, it's half that force. It's not 350, it's 175. Whenever we talk about how much force you have to apply, we always have to keep in mind, how long do you get to apply that force for when we're doing that? And, and how fast is that object traveling? Some nerdy shit. Well, you say nerdy, it's, it's largely, you know, comes into this whole discussion when we say, okay, we've got machines that are built in certain ways, like you've got a barbell squat where it's a one-to-one -one ratio between you and the load. So things going to move with you and you've got other machines where it will be a two to one or a four to one so that there'll be less of that component so maybe you have so that the the speed component will change the profile that, much that very idea that we just use of going okay it goes 0 0.6 but if we were on a two to one pulley you've gone 0 0.6 but the load has gone 0 0.3 yeah. so it's going to have half the velocity half the momentum half the force demand to stop that thing at the same point in time yeah. so yeah, it's it's nerdy, but it's the fun shit that that makes this mechanics really. Just to give a, a practical example, stroke tangent. I remember in a good few years back doing an incline dumbbell press. I think the heaviest the gym had I was at was fifty kilos. Um, flicked up the dumbbells, got to the top of the rep, and there's one of them benches. I don't know if you can remember, like I think it's like a techno gym or something, where it's the thing that pops out and then clips in. Rather yeah. than like nowadays where they wedge in and there's no way they're moving, pops out and clipped in. For some reason, it didn't pop in. <laughs> and then before I knew it, the dumbbells were on the floor. The bench had dropped down. Luckily, I guess I was on an incline. So where the hands were positioned, they just hit like either chest stroke shoulder, flew to the floor. And I was just like lying there like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> so practical example of how much weight there was coming down, hit my chest. Before I'd even knew That's it. Probably literally 175 kilos on each shoulder then. 50 kilo dumbbells. Yeah. It's got this weird thing. He's like spinning around as well. So it's got an odd, <laughs> it's got an odd angle thing going on. Yeah. I've a good few stories over the years for lifting that you're like, look at that. The body can handle a fair bit of force in certain scenarios that we don't want to test. <laughs> I once dropped a 30k dumbbell on my toe, took three quarters of the toenail off and left a small bit there. That was... That was pretty grim. So I would recommend not dropping dumbbells on your toes. That's, uh, oh. I think that's the takeaway from this podcast. I, I dropped one on my phone once where I was, um, you know, mid uh, training with one of Cal's clients actually, and, you know, had my headphones in Bluetooth and then my phone had slipped out on the floor halfway through the set. And, I, and they were like 42 kilo dumbbells or something. And I was doing like the cable variation as well. So I kind of have to dump them at the end so I can get out of everything dump them and then my music stopped playing and I was like oh. and then and I was like and then everyone was like oh. I was like oh. and I sat up after getting everything off and they were like and I looked down and like my phone had like 
curled round the tongue. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's that's broken. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what comes back. We're on examples. I'll give you another example. Um, spotting a mate once, got to the bottom of the squat, I think pushed halfway up. I think he had, he had 140, he had three plates on his back, 140 kilos. And then something went and then literally he just shit himself because he knew something had gone in his knee, flipped the bar off his back but I was there, I don't know if like when everyone squatted, sort of the old school style, you get underneath and like get under their arms yeah. to, rip, to actually, if they're going to fail, to actually be able to pick them up. Nowadays, I see people squat, squatting on the squat, standing back, and they're not going to do anything. Ah, you have to get, co- you get cozy. Yeah, so I was there literally getting cozy, my crotch right on his ass to make <laughs> sure that if he did fail, I was there, not thinking that he was going to flip it off his back. So basically 140 kilos came down, slid down my arms, and sort of jarred into my forearm. And then I just sort of rolled it down. I was, and I was, it happened so quick. You're like, what the fuck just went on there? Oh, yeah. Next day, I had the worst bicep doms ever. Because <laughs> it yeah, was I'm surprised they did like six inches, but still six inches times. Yeah, uh, 140. Yeah. Like, that's a massive amount of force. Yeah. I, was, I had all like red bruises down my bicep and onto my forearm. I was like, Fucking hell, what happened there? <laughs> You're actually probably lucky that it hit you in the arm and got the friction of your arm to slow it down slightly before it hit into that thing. But yeah. it's a bad day at the office. I once saw a dude break both of his legs on a Smith machine. That was a pretty grim. He had uh, he was doing calf raises, had like 200 kilos on a big dude who used to come in in the morning, like six, five guy, jacked. He was still warming up. I'd seen him do crap loads on this damn uh, thing. But he didn't have the the little safety pins popped on. And up to this point, I never used to care if anyone put the safety pins on as well. Like I'd never see it on a Smith machine, sorry. I'd never seen anything go badly, but I was with a client and I just did this boom. And like, then this, this pain, like, uh, <laughs> it was a really strange noise. Uh, and I looked, yeah. And this 200 kilos had gone all the way down. The, the step he was stood on had slipped out. So the 200 kilos had gone down through him all the way to the floor, essentially. His feet went out and turned right. His knees went in left. So then his feet are now facing the wrong direction, essentially. He's kind of lying on the ground. It's like Jimmy him out. I watched him as well turn his feet back in. They made a horrible noise. Going like, like ringing the ambulance. I was like, oh, my God. To this, actually, he did. He, this is, a, this is the, the best line I've ever heard anyone leave the gym. So he well, the the ambulance people what's the name paramedic thank you uh turn up and they're like he because he, you know he's six five big dude and they're like okay we'll, we'll give him um some pain relief and just see if it kicks in we'll give it some time still nothing is happening from this anesthetic so they'll give him a bit more still nothing a bit more they get to the point where, like we actually can't give him anymore it's not safe to give him anymore he's got a pain relief so let's get him out of there but he'd been now on the floor for about an hour and so we're like okay we've got to get him downstairs the gym in this David Lloyd I used to work at was upstairs. And so we had to carry him down and then round. This is a Saturday morning, busy time in the gym. It's like nine in the morning. The, uh, the sales team are coming and showing some new people around. And we're stretching this guy <laughs> coming down the thing. This, someone stopped him on the stairs. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, what, what happened? Are you OK? He pulls down the oxygen from his mask and just went leg day and then <laughs> put his thing back on. And to this day, it's you've got to take your hat off and be like, that was a phenomenal line. <laughs> That's unreal. But I mean, it brings us back. Let's take away back to the. There's <laughs> 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 a point like the scenario where James drops his dumbbells, like that guy dropping the load. Mm. 
me dropping the dumbbell. Like I could place a 42 kilo dumbbell on my phone and it would be fine, but it's the fucking acceleration of that thing that does it. So when that thing, those weights dropped, you know, I dropped a dumbbell from that height. James dropped, got the 140 kilos on it. You could probably hold maybe at the time 140 kilos like that, but the force of that thing accelerating in, that guy could hold 200 kilos, but when that thing started accelerating, that's where the... It's why whenever anyone I hear say things like, you know, tempo doesn't really matter, I'm like, you don't understand physics at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I well, mean, that's what I, I wrote down from today, our little math session off, off the back of it. But this is groundbreaking. Imagine research scenarios where eccentric speed is not accounted for, question mark, like exclamation mark, which is all the time. This is the resistance, yeah. you know. So imagine the internal requirements under, under these conditions, they're going to change drastically. You have someone, you know, in a research scenario comparing a leg press in a squat. And in one of the scenarios, you know, well, they do require different, if you're going to match them in terms of the physical things like inclined plane versus a linear vertical up and down, they are different. To some degree, like people account for this themselves, like no power lifter when they're doing something very heavy goes, ah, I'll just drop it (laughs) like onto myself and then bounce it off my chest. No, they don't. They control that thing down moderately slowly when it's getting near their max. And the reason they do that, no they are unlikely to know that this is the technical reason for why is that's the way you slow that momentum. And if you let it generate too high, you ain't getting that thing back off you. You just not. Um, and yeah, you're right. But even going beyond just that with that one, it's like, well, then you'd have to account for it with different types of machine and different types of pulley and all these kind of things. And it's like, you know, we come back and we have this kind of conversation semi-regularly, but like how much of the research could we really say is definitively applicable that's all been done like how much could be and this doesn't mean it is but could be a waste simply because and these aren't complex ideas in the grand scheme of things this is a level physics most of it's not even a level physics yeah yeah <laughs> it's like gcse or i mean yeah newton's eight year old <laughs> yeah newton stuff is 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 high school like yeah. if you're getting into conservation of momentum and changes in that and angular stuff it's a bit more complex but yeah, yeah. It, it, we're not talking phd level you know quantum gravity stuff here this is it's basic newtonian mechanics it's like how is it not accounted for by phds in exercise science where's the science part of that physics is the world you live and operate in if we're lifting things and you're not fucking accounting for it and that is bullshit (laughs) explain so much but that was the thing the most depressing thing where when we first started going through some of this stuff and I was like, oh my God, you know, this must be like university level master's physics. And you're like, no, this is like A-level. And I was like... That's kind of shit. But to the point where I'm like, if I could go back and study physics at A-level, which you can now, I could just do it. But like back in the day, and it's the thing like you need a lot of the time and it's when people go when am i going to use maths in real life when i use you know physics and you're like well actually if you go into the realm of if someone was to say that you're gonna if you're gonna become a personal trainer you're gonna need a grounding in physics and in maths and a pretty good one people be like what (laughs) you want to get into training do you let me introduce you to triangles and trigonometry that's going to be exciting (laughs) you're like what and like to to be fair, you don't need like this crazy complex grounding, but you probably would benefit from having an appreciation for it um, and a basic understanding of a like, like I said trigonometry, forces, Newtonian, you know, like Newton's laws. Like, oh, yeah. yes. the, um, which sounds super lame, 
But actually, if you've gotten into this mechanics thing and you're kind of listening to this and you want the specific answers for how much force is required here, how much is going on there, you can't answer that without some understanding of, of some of these concepts and ideas. And they're not too complicated. You generally just need someone for a little bit of time to sit down and kind of go through them. Things like Khan Academy is an awesome resource for, for going through that stuff. The Internet in general is, is, is pretty wonderful for exposure to people who can teach you that pretty well. But like, I mean, from a basic, well, I say basic, people who like basic, but that conversation we had just now of like, hey, how much torque can, is, you know, can I produce around this joint in this position, in this muscle? You know, understanding trigonometry and component forces, you know, that yeah. kind of gives you the answer there. Because you'd be like, okay, in this position, like statically, let's say, you could be like, okay, I'm producing, you know, I've got a force angle of this and, you know, the levers at this you know whatever and you know I'm, i can calculate what the quad can produce and i can calculate you know how much rotation i can produce and therefore how much torque and then you go okay so a 20 percent you know moment with this load in this squat is actually enough you, know? <laughs> you can't answer uh, component forces without trigonometry yeah. to find each component you need the sine and the cosine of whatever force is being produced that that's going to give you those components and so if you've got a force angle the, the equation for torque, you need sine, unless it's at 90 degrees. And the only reason you don't need the sine of the angle at 90 degrees is because the sine of 90 degrees is one. So you're timesing it by one, which means it's itself. And so you don't need the one. But outside of that, what you're really doing, the torque equation technically is the force, however much that is, times the perpendicular distance. But the perpendicular distance is no longer 90 degrees. So it's the lever arm times the sign of the force angle is your effective moment arm within that. And that's like, well, but you play with it a couple of times. Yeah, and that, and is, that, that was quite simple. That. I mean, when we went through that and I was like, oh, that's pretty simple. <laughs> yeah, um, it was like- and then you can say exactly how big it is, by the way. It doesn't have to be, you don't necessarily have to go get your, uh, you know, bits of rope and string out and be like, I think it's about this. Let's measure that. You're like, okay, what's the force angle to that? Okay. It's this long. I can, I don't need to measure it. Like <laughs> it's a feature of geometry. That is, that okay. is that. And by the way, I should point out, like I didn't start with a background in this. I was just annoyed that I couldn't, I didn't have specific answers. And then I tried to go and find things and it turns out there's not much of the industry doing this side of it. And, yeah, that, like, yeah. the forces. and that's where there'd be some people that have done RTS being like, what? I didn't do this. It's like they don't go into it that to a point where they say, you know, and, and I think they there's an element and maybe does in some of it, but I think there's an element because there's a lot of people that take information where they've learned from mechanics, whatever the thing, and they say, okay, you know, I know the rough strength profile of a lower body push movement. I know I want to be stronger. You know, I'm stronger at the top, so I want it to increase. And then they get a machine where like, oh, it drops off as I go to the bottom and it increases the top. Sweet. But they don't consider by what percentage yeah. so they're just like it drops off and they're like it could drop off by one percent like is that enough <laughs> and yeah. then and so having what's, the, what's a common example of that then luke in so say for instance the pendulum that's what i was trying to head to oh yeah 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 well, I was i'll give you a hint but now i'll just tell you what it is <laughs> yeah the pendulum is a very good example of when you look at the mechanics of that machine well, essentially the magnitude profile and you just consider the machine itself and you're like okay resist well I suppose that is a resistance profile but the the load you know gets relatively like probably marginally closer to the axis as you go through the eccentric and then marginally further away and like 
you know the counterweight and stuff but like that looking at the machine itself you're like okay there's a marginal change so yeah it drops off but then you consider i put someone in this machine and the position we're getting them into at the knee like the length of the quad and the inefficiency we get into and then the effort that is being applied in terms of you're dealing with the most force in that in that bottom position that drop-off's tiny you need it to be like fucking percent yeah. Like your weakest piss in the bottom yeah. of a pendulum squat, <laughs> and that like oh this has decreased by five percent though so good times yeah and, and, and that's like five percent and you ain't feeling any of that at all yeah. <laughs> that's, and that, yeah and you don't need the maths to figure that one out hopefully but there are some people that have gone oh it drops off that's enough for me and you're like like you wouldn't get- even like, even outside of looking at the maths and figuring stuff out I think people just need to try and have a bit more of a thought process in terms of okay let's try and push to close to failure. What happens with that rep speed? Yeah. Like, does it ever slow down? Okay, maybe it slows down at one point, but not another point. Okay, how can we change with things? Add a band, not add a band. Add more band, add a shorter band. Whatever it may be, rather than just keep that same setup because we think we need to be sort of lighter at the bottom where we're weaker. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no experimentational thought process about it even when outside the mass you don't see people continually changing their setup they just set it up once and then run with that for the next how many years and half the fun when you get into this if you ever go to james's gym is seeing how many things he has modified and tweaked at the gym to play with these very same ideas to be like okay yeah i get that it wants to drop off i get or this wants to increase but you know the dose makes the poison is a well-known phrase and we think of it when we're talking about food or medicine and what have you but like that idea is rarely applied even by people who are starting to get a grasp on mechanics of going okay i want it less but like how much the magnitude of the change massively matters and if you don't think the magnitude of the change matters well then i ask you what's the difference between stepping off a small step and stepping out of my window on the third floor it's like magnitude matters <laughs> such a good analogy <laughs> Uh, but but it's a you know prime example where you know even in the realms of you get a cybex leg extension you're like oh this is perfect you know it drops drops off by twenty five percent whatever you go through and you're thirty percent and then you're like and then you go and see James's one and you put all these weights and then you're like well James's one drops off more and you're like <laughs> has he done that <laughs> you're like well for James he's trying to figure out some stuff and and like you know, Tom's done the same and Tom Purvis has done the same and there's people that have, you know, they'll get into modifying stuff. Um, but we saw it yesterday in, in our live education session where we had that footage of Cal doing the, the hack squat and he, you know, he pushed it far, but like the profile of that movement, given how much stronger structurally Cal is at the top of that movement, you know, he kind of hit the sticking point at the bottom for a little bit and then he just kind of accelerated through the rest of the rep and you're like, well, realistically, he didn't take it that far when we consider the like the entirety of the tissue being stimulated I, mean, I guess we've also got like even bits within that because you know we have a tendency to want to use bands but like bands have a particular profile themselves that they change through and there's no reason to suspect that our strength profile is a linear change like oh i'm i'm you know that top what that top 15 20 percent of of cal's hack squat there might barely change in his strength output and then he suddenly like drops off a cliff as he gets into that bottom bit. So there's no reason to think that the change in strength profile is a linear decrease or kind of increase through those things. And so, you know, there's to some degree a bit of an inescapability of this idea of like, can we ever create the perfect profile? It's like, oof, I don't know. Because we, I mean, we have like, on fatigue. Whether it's from practically, whether it's possible, but um, 
using the cams mm. for like um james got very excited by the fact that like he was like look i've balanced this one so like pulled the thing out it's like it doesn't move but that's any <laughs> something with a cam is really our only option to ever potentially get close to whether it's fresh whether it's fatigue obviously different for everyone to close to this optimal profile mm. um something with a cable something with a resistance band adjusting playing resistance bands it's going to be in the right ballpark, yeah. but it's never going to be as potentially what something could be with a cam. Yeah, because yeah, we shouldn't make the mistake of going, okay, just because we can't make it perfect doesn't mean we can't make it better. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. It's just the idea of, okay, well, we don't need perfect, but we can get closer to. And then as a coach, you know, the ability to manually modulate those during the reps that your client is going through is a huge feature uh, and really will make you stand out as a PT as well as being effective for your client. If that is what you do as you're listening to this. Yeah, 100 agree. That's that's the biggest applicable point, I think, in terms of understanding stuff where we can add value when we can be with our clients face to face, where we can add value as coaches is knowing basically how to assist, how to spot, yeah. um, how to guide someone through through a movement. The deeper our understanding of this, the more we can get from our clients. Mm. Yeah. Knowing when yeah. for an individual, right? Because not everyone needs to go to that point where it's like 15 second concentric and you're like <laughs> yeah and you're going to have clients who don't like that i remember when i first started doing this being super excited about doing this to basically everyone and then having a conversation with a client she's like i just don't like the fact that every set is so hard like every rep is so hard i'm like that's a good point i, I should probably not bring my bias in but that's like i know as coaches sometimes that's where we want to go but we can still so apply this knowledge Say, for instance, we're doing a lateral raise. You've got a lateral raise machine in your gym. Profile's probably not going to be optimal. Right from that first rep, if you've got the skill, you can come in and assist that rep through at certain points within the range. So it's not only we're going to come in to make this super challenging in somewhere they've never, ever been before, but no, we can try and make it appropriate for them where they're at at the moment by adjusting the profile. Or maybe there's an injury or a niggle or something through a certain degrees of the range that we're going to come off and deload it in. So it's not just that end of the spectrum we've got to apply this stuff. It's yeah. with a general pop client who's just getting started. Even and then that, it's so important. Yeah. And then, then even there's bits of going like, is this an exercise where it's better for me to assist or resist in terms of you just being the trainer like there are certain ones where the load is heavy and i'd rather add resistance to it than have to start lifting the damn thing to help them out of that and uh as they're going through the movement so you've got even options within there as the trainer yeah but i think i mean I'm, i had a thought a while back when you mentioned the um which i don't know if i should bring up because it might confuse people and it's my own um <coughs> my own speculation but this is what the podcast for um the um way you mentioned the band obviously having a very different profile and it kind of has that spring-like thing of like it would increase increase then suddenly it's yeah like there's, an, there's a component in the human muscle that does the same thing like, yeah and just a lot of the passive other passive structures right um and and they're obviously so in in intertwined that like, and it's something I've been looking into recently to the point where I'm like, this whole study of the length tension relationship that doesn't account, and some of it does account for the passive structures, but often in the context of strength profiles, when we're talking about active tissue, it doesn't often get brought up that the, we, we rarely reach the extremes of fully short, fully lengthened sarcomere. And when we have in research and they've extracted a single sarcomere 
removed it from the extracellular matrix and all these other things that are in muscle tissue and gone, look how short I can get this thing and look what happens to the force and look how long. We don't see that often in, in human bodies. And equally, when you put it all back in and connect it with the extracellular matrix, you're like, right, there's this element where I get stronger as I go through a, an eccentric, you know, as I lengthen the tissue because all those spring-like things come into play and we get that other component that lengthens. So it makes these whole profile discussions harder because a lot of them, you know, the length tension is one part of it. We have the internal moment arms, we've got fatigue. I mean, we discussed all this stuff yesterday with all these other factors that come into what goes into a profile. And even then it gets annoyed and compounded by the fact, yeah. well, hypertrophy itself changes all these things too because, okay, I've just put some more sarcomeres in series now. So that's going to affect, but the muscle itself hasn't got longer. So that must be shortening the sarcomere lengths in order to chuck them in there. What does that mean for what I'm going? I think it, will, it potentially will get the muscle longer, will it not? Because it would just be like, if I make well, it. Well, yeah, so we've got that bulging kind of up. Bulge up. But then it's going to change the force angle on it. Yeah. So that, so all the, and like the internal, yeah, the internal moment will change. So you're like, it's all, it's always, it's this dynamic process that we can't ever be that black and white about. Um, yeah. And that's where the this experimentation thing is so important, I think, because you're going to find, like, with yourself, like James's leg extension, he's modified for him. He'll put clients on there and he'll have to change it. If I went on there, he'd probably have to change it. You know, Cal goes on there because we've all had different adaptations happen to our tissues. And, and that's the cool thing. And I think the biggest takeaway from the podcast up until this point would be kind of enjoy the experimentation. Don't go into doing a lower body pushing movement and going, this is the profile. This is how I need it to look. I need it to be this percentage, this percentage. Kind of pay yeah, just, yeah, just don't go on autopilot. Yeah, I yeah. think, yeah, we're weak here. We're strong there. Let's run with it. Chuck a band on and no, let's just look at actually what's going on. Yeah. And then use that information to guide where we go on the next set or yeah, the next maybe. workout or whatever it may be. Yeah, like that information is going to be coming from, from either you, if you're just training yourself, or from your client or for whatever. And actually, that's half the fun if you're going to be a trainer in this, because yeah. you can let yourself get onto autopilot really easily and quickly if you, if you wanted to, but you'll lose all the enthusiasm you ever had for doing this job if you, if you do so. And so keeping that curiosity and exploration is best for the client, and I would say it's best for you and your enthusiasm over time. Mm. Amen. win-win. Yeah, because and it's the thing. Like I just recorded a, I was just a guest on another podcast, and we were talking about hypertrophy. And I was saying there's so much we don't know, and so much we don't understand. And what we do understand, we're kind of like, well, that's still not enough. So if you ever find people in that scenario, like I said, if you ever find someone in the realms of hypertrophy talking in definitives and absolutes and this and that, be very wary. Same thing applies to probably the, a Sith. I would, uh... Probably a Sith Lord. The <laughs> but the thing, if we Whereas in and the same applies to mechanics. So we, we there's obviously things we can be sure about, and we know there's a trend in certain areas with profiles, and it's going to roughly look like that. But the joy comes in experimenting and kind of going in and you know taking the role. Like I said in some of the presentations, it's like being like a skeptical scientist and like yeah. coming up with a hypothesis, testing it, changing it, changing the experiment as you're going, coming up with and seeing how it affects the overall outcome certainty tends to blind us like if i know ahead of time i don't pay attention and then i'm going to miss out on potentially this information that's coming back that is usable and useful and the only reason i missed it is because i was convinced i already knew and it's like that's a that's a fail yeah amen um yeah but so if we were gonna again i mean we, these, these conversations have this like 
like the last like the last exercise mechanics round table, which I can't even remember the topic we did with Gaz, and it ended up being like the most philosophical discussion around exercise. <laughs> <laughs> like this one, everyone was just like, guys, we just gotta be we just gotta go with it and enjoy it and be fun, you know, be scientists and you know, people can be like, What? I just want to learn about moment arms. Um the um but if we if we do segue it back, um so like what are the sort of things, you know, let's take a 45 degree leg, leg press and i mean we could even say let's take 45 degree leg press and a four bar linkage leg press maybe yeah we could say what are the different setup requirements that we would consider between the two i mean we mentioned some of the stuff around the four bar linkage system earlier if we were going to give people we can touch on some of the stuff we mentioned so far maybe but um Set up. If you're looking at a 45 degree, I think the first one to start thinking of is, okay, well, I'm not dealing with all of the weight that's coming down there. So 45 okay, degree. Let's do 45 degree versus Smith squat. Okay. So with the 45 degree, super simple one to remember, you have 71% of the load. So if you were going to be manipulating the profile on that, for example, and you were going, okay, I want this to increase by 15%, 20% as I get to the top, whatever, and you're going to reverse band it. Well, then you need to reverse band 71% of the weight that's on there, not reverse band the whole weight. So if you had 100 kilos on there, you're dealing with 71 kilos and you want that to increase by 20%, let's say. So that means you want it to increase by 14 kilos or decrease, I should say, by 14 kilos. So you'd have to figure out your band tensions and shit like that, if that's what you were wanting to do. That, that, sounds, that doesn't sound necessarily too, too that probably may sound difficult, but it's literally as simple as getting a pretty decent luggage scale, putting a band on, pulling it to the point where you would be at the top of the rep and be like, okay, what's the number on this thing? Okay, is that 14 kilos? No, it needs to be a bit, and then you change the band or change, you know, maybe get a daisy chain of or whatever it is. Yeah, it is that. Like, just... Don't want to go on too many more tangents here. <laughs> but the amount of people that only ever top band stuff now, like what happened to learning the skill to control the weight? Yeah. Like it's quite easy to bring that, not maybe not easy, but we can bring that leg press to a stop. We can pause for a second or two and we can push through. Um, so if you bottom band stuff, one, you've got to put 10 times less weight on it. So it makes it so much easier. Yeah, your ego doesn't look as big. <laughs> like, that's important shit james i'm trying to take that away from me <laughs> there's different discussions we could have around the profile obviously a top band compared to a bottom band but at this stage we'll say they do relatively similar things yeah. um but why does everyone always stay with a top band like yeah. for those who don't know that we're talking reverse band as well so people that would refer to it one that takes the weight off rather than adds it to it so top man coming from the top yeah, so people that might be like top band. So, I mean, yes, when I'm working with clients, like start bottom banding again when you get back in gyms. Start controlling the weight. Don't let the band control the weight for you. I mean, the first thing whenever working with clients, like even if they're relatively advanced, is like, can they control the tempos, the stops, and the starts of those things before I even start tweaking all that much? A because most clients who come to you, unless they're relatively advanced and want to geek out, and even then. Like if, you, if we just describe doing that for someone who's barely been in the gym, right? You're going to need two daisy chains, a couple of carabiners, a luggage scale, and three different types of band. And what I need you to do is measure the excursion that this band goes through when you go through your active range in this leg press. And then you're going to need to figure that out. And then I want you to film yourself while you do that. Like a newbie is just going to freak the fuck, and rightly so, freak the fuck out. You're like, no, no, no. I just want you to figure out what's this range you've got. Can you control it? Can you stop? 
Can you start? Can we build that? And then maybe let's layer these things in if they're appropriate for you. Mm. But I think a bit on the band front, I mean, that's it. the point you raised about if you want, you know, you're dealing with 71% of the load. If you want to increase by 20%, you're going to need a 14 kilo increase on the band. That changes as you increase the mass on the machine, right? So people yep. go, oh, I've now got 140 kilos on there. You're going to need a 28 kilo increase on, on yeah. the band. So you're not doing the same. It's not the same movement when you keep the set the band the same. So it's, it's a they'll have to change proportionally to one another, um, yeah. which is which you can use in a, in a you know in a different way. I had this conversation with one of my clients where you could potentially use that as a progressive tool and you say actually i'll leave it the same and maybe we'll do the reverse banding or the top banding on a certain movement and you'll increase the load to the point where the band's actually helping less and less and less and then you change the band after a while so you actually get help and then you kind of restart the process and start adding more weight from there and you're yeah. actually using this thing where you're periodically getting help for the band it's decreasing so your the profile's changing you're exposing your tissue to a different stimulus and then you just change it back to the original profile and you're kind of periodically exposing yourself to a bit more inertia and doing, going around it that way. But if you are going to use bands across a program and you want it to be consistent in what it's doing to the load, then you're going to have to modulate the band yeah. tension based on whatever's on the, on the machine. Um, any more on the bands? No, I, I think when we're looking at them two exercises, say that Smith machine squat compared to leg press, super simple. But are we looking at the starting joint position compared to the end joint position and the difference between the two? Right, obviously we're starting in 80, 90 degrees of hip flexion on our leg press, and we're starting in pretty pretty much a fully extended or close to um, fully extended position on the squat, on the Swift machine squat. So that in itself is going to change a lot. The degrees of knee flexion we can go through during the excursion is going to change a lot. These are all relative when you talk about them, simple things, but they're not taken into consideration. Mm. Um, so then when we go from maybe a, a leg press to a hat squat, or a leg press to a pendulum. And we're like, oh yeah, well, lower body machine wise, I've just got a leg press and a leg extension. Well, the, the results we get from a, a leg press compared to a pendulum or a hat could be completely different from the excursion we can get through the knee. Yeah. So even if people are designing gyms, designing studios, and they're like, yeah, they just put in a leg press and a leg extension. I mean, for me, you know, with, with me and my silly legs, if I go on a normal 45 degree leg press, like the range of movement I have is pathetic. It's like, it's, it looks almost embarrassing. You're like, yeah, I should just, if anyone's watching this, it's like, please stop. Cause it's going through a really small change to the point that someone's going to be like, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. What's he trained? It's like, that's the active range I've got on a standard 45 degree leg press. Whereas if I've got a leg press with a four bar linkage and I'm suddenly not constrained by that ankle, I'm like, ah, oh, look at this freezer that I can uh, start going through. But then there's going to be other people who super suit that 45 degree leg press. And they're going to look at me like, why can't you do this? Can you, can you remember the, like the lying, the, so the pin loaded, like lying leg press, like Life Fitness Pro 1 had one where you had the shoulder pads, you're lying down on your back, like a hack squat type movement. I'm like, why have they disappeared? Yeah. Why doesn't anyone make anything like that nowadays? It's always the seated techno gym, life fitness style where you're leaning back to 45, 50, 60 degrees, and you push it in the seats going back. Like, yeah. why have they got rid of them lying leg presses? And the muscle, muscle Works near me in Orpington has uh, this old school Avenger yeah. thing that's the, basically the same. It's fucking awesome. I'm yeah. like, so why is this? Never found anywhere. The only downside to it is where you put the weight 
is a million miles away from the axis it rotates around. So you can launch that thing yeah. like a motherfucker. But outside of that, as long as you can control for that, oh, it's a beautiful machine. I'm like, why is this not more of a standardized thing? Because, I mean, that thing looks like it was made in the 80s, I want to say. Yeah, it's awesome. I still want to come and use that. The um, but on the so back to, so forty five degree leg press and the Smith squat. What are, are there any things we could touch on? I'm sure there is bait. Um, no, there's not. With respect, with respect to the work that's required in terms of moving hundred kilos vertically versus on a forty five degree plane, stuff we would cover there. It was basically kind of the same, though, as the fact that we're dealing with less of the force coming down the plane. The reason we can do um, less work against it is, well, the work is going to work in physics is force times displacement. Right. So we want to take this load from a certain position above the ground to a higher position above the ground. And if I work in a straight line, straight against gravity, that's as hard as it's ever going to be. When I'm on a ramp. I can use less force to push something up a ramp, but I have to take it a greater distance in order to do so. So a really slow, and you kind of know this, if you go up a steep hill, it's a bitch. If you go through a slow hill, a small slope, it's much easier. You can still get to the same height, but in order to use the less force that the smaller slope requires, it has to go over a greater distance. Yeah. And you've got the same thing going on with the leg press. So it's not necessarily um, in terms of work done any more than what we've already accounted for of the, well, I was thinking more in the terms of work force times displacement distance in the physics sense. I mean, for me, I've got bugger all displacement <laughs> in that 45 degree leg press. So yeah. not a huge one. So that's, that's, yeah, you'd see something like that. But, the, but no, I thought that would be worth touching on for people that want to consider that aspect. That, but ultimately, it is kind of what we just talked about. I mean, there'd be the friction component as well, which... Mm add into that if you're doing a barbell squat versus a um, 45 degree but again it depends on the material and if you're using a ball bearing leg press there's chances any friction co coefficient anyway but the um but that was um yeah i mean have we covered that set up execution considerations we kind of did i mean ultimately you've got to consider the fact that in that 45 degree example you're going to be more like potentially more limited right um especially if you're pulled especially if me it's shocking how um frequent you'll see that the 45 degree leg press in gyms when you actually break it down you're like there's a lot of limitations here there's a lot of people who can't get the most out of this and that yeah. is all, probably the most common leg press that you'll find especially those ones that don't let you even adjust the back angle it's like how hard would it have been to just put an adjustable back angle in? Well, like, that, that changes it so much <laughs> You're like, oh, I could actually move a little bit. You're like, no, no, you've decided to keep me bolt upright. Have you? Great. But it's, um, uh, I can't remember what I was going to say now. That's terrible. That is terrible. I did that earlier as well. I can't even forget what I was going to say. Outstanding hosting. Outstanding indeed. <laughs> um, no, but I think it was probably a useless point um, centered around uh, the 45 degree. Depth. No, I mean, I suppose, actually, no, I was going to say, would you be able to use your Meccano? to demonstrate the what we mean by essentially the effect that has on the ankle in a four bar linkage versus a 45 degree uh i mean if you've got this so you know if we i've imagine, got if we imagine there's a platform yeah that this is i'd need a thing i'd have to build it see if i can use a pencil <laughs> so let's say we've got this platform this is going to be really crap if you're on audio 
So I've got a four-bar And what I've tried to do is on the top of one of the linkages, give what would be a foot platform. And what's going to happen is as I go through the excursion that this thing does, this guy has the capacity to stay vertical, essentially. So even though these angles down below are moving, what this guy is going through isn't really changing very much. It would if I got down like here, but that's a, that's a big old kind of excursion. So for the most part, it just means that that ankle isn't having to get into greater and greater amounts of dorsiflexion as we go through it. And so for most people, I've never met anyone who that then became a limitation for. So for most people, we could say a four bar linkage generally takes away the limitation of the ankle yeah. as one of its features. Yeah, I just played around with the fit there. <laughs> if we didn't have that, that um, again, for those watching, we'll probably find it easier. If we were on a 45 degree and that thing was moving up a platform like that, angles staying the same there, but obviously off with us in the system, like that's demanding, a, like as we take go further into the eccentric, we require more dorsiflexion to be able to deal with that and then that's going to decrease as we go through potentially so that's gonna that's an important factor for a lot of people because again like paul mentioned if you're in that scenario of you've only got access to one of those and you've got someone on there or yourself that finds yourself limited if you can you know that if you can give yourself you know, gain access to one of the four by linkage systems you know, you'll probably find that you'll get a lot more range available around certain joints um, which is quite a cool point to make because again, like it's it's a big determinant of what active range is a lot of the time on those things. And again, people think, oh, it's my hip. You're like, well, actually, in that one, it's your ankle. Um, <clears throat> and um, but no, I mean, um, that was uh, that was the point I was going to make. Thankfully, I remembered it. And I'm glad that only some. Well, I'm not glad. I'm glad some people would have been able to see that, but then the people that are listening, just jump onto YouTube and watch that bit back if you're confused. You may know what we're talking about there. Um, but I mean, anyone who hasn't listened to these roundtable discussions before, we're like, what the hell is going on with these guys? Just realize that anytime we do a roundtable discussion, we go all over the place. <laughs> and I mean, probably just into the realm of visual tools for an audio audio format which is used the best way to do <laughs> to do over this i'll leave it to the audience to decide whether this was useful but ultimately this was as much for us as it was for you guys it's nice, <laughs> to, geek out. It's nice to geek out um and just put press record and see where we go um but yeah entirely unscripted hopefully there was some use in there um i mean there was some use for me so i'm happy <laughs> 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 I like to I like to hash out some of these thoughts, but I, I'm sure there would be some things in there that you guys can take away practically. And again, the, the biggest takeaway from this entire podcast was embrace the the experimentation side of things. Don't get too hung up on trying to um, you know speak in definitives in any area, really, um, but specifically in the realms of mechanics. Like a lot of the joy and fun comes from experimenting with yourself with your clients in a safe and appropriate manner. I must add. Um, yeah, and even bouncing it, those ideas off off of people that you get to know kind of online. Like, you know, for me, over the last year, I've gotten to know you guys, and you guys have been a massive part of my my education and my kind of learning, and still are to this day. And still are people I come to to bounce ideas off of me. Like, am I being a moron? What have, <laughs> what what have we got going on here? I'm thinking this. Am I missing anything? Like that that ability to 
allow yourself to make a little bit of a fool of yourself, possibly while trying to figure things out is inescapable. And if you find the right people, it's only going to be a fun part of the process that is reciprocated and, and just really helps you kind of grow. And Amen. Really, well, so I mean, like, I'm going with the end of that sentence. <laughs> I mean, you're someone I come to a lot of the time now as well, especially with all the math stuff. It's fucking awesome to explore with you. Um, but the, and I'm sure we'll get you back on for some more of these um, podcasts as well. But um, I say for those that do kind of listen to this and be like, well, bloody hell, I don't know where I'm going. The stuff on our portal is a bit more coherent, maybe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> more of a linear format, maybe. <laughs> Let's just around as much. But um, but I, I imagine a lot of people that made it this far will have had some sort of backing in um, in exercise mechanics and probably enjoyed that a little bit. Hopefully, um, or you've just be mocking us in the background with your mates just laughing, laughing about how little we know in which case I'm glad you still listen thanks for the views um, <laughs> I like the fact that that idea occurred to you as a possibility mate it's an insight into your brain respect the best plan for the worst um, no um, but no thank you for coming boys that was awesome um, I thoroughly enjoyed it thoroughly enjoyed your company um, and anyone who listened thank you for listening and if you have any questions at all comment Probably on YouTube because I think that's the only place you can. Um, and um, and if we see you on the portal or anything like that, it'd be awesome. But um, we'll see you hopefully on the next uh, next mechanics roundtable, but next podcast episode. So thank you for listening, people. Thank you, Paul. Thank Thanks you. for having me, guys. Thank you for listening to the Muscle Mentors podcast. Just a quick shout out to our sponsors who support the channel and everything we do in the realms of education and coaching within the industry. Firstly, our original sponsor, Supplement Needs. They've been with us from the start. If you're seeking the highest quality supplements on the market, particularly organ support and health-orientated products, you can use code MUSCLEMENTORS at checkout for 10% off your order. Precision Prep, our recently introduced food preparation partner, delivering the finest quality meal prep across the UK, featuring their new Pro Prep range, a concept closely developed with us to solve an issue we see day-to-day with time limitations and nutritional compromise. If you're seeking the highest quality nutrition delivered to your door for the best price, look no further. Use code MUSCLEMENTALS at checkout for 15% off your first order and 10% thereafter. And lastly, RAR Optics, the highest grade blue blue light blocking glasses on the market with the slickest style. In a world filled with artificial light, particularly those with high screen time, I can certainly say I'm one of them. These can be a real game changer for sleep quality and recovery, something we use personally on a day-to-day basis. Grab yourself a pair by using code MUSCLEMENTALS at checkout for money off all orders. Once again, thank you for your continued support. Until next time.